Morning, church. So wonderful to hear your beautiful voices singing and worshiping God together. And I want to thank you so much for coming out. It's just a beautiful day. And um, I'm just so, we're just so blessed that God arranges the, has arranged the last two weeks for us with regards to the rain. And uh, continue to pray that we can have good days like this. Um, I'll be sitting like this for a little while, if that's all right with you. And uh, yeah, my message today um, is very simple, but for me, very profound. And um, I must say for myself, it was just wonderful to be able to prepare this and once again, go through these very familiar scriptures. And so I'm praying that God will spur us on to love and good deeds through this message. And um, yeah, I also want to want to thank the people online. Um, we wish you were here. We're trying to um, use this space better and see how we can make more open spaces for people to come. But uh, thank you, and uh, yeah, we'd love to see you sometime soon. You see, for me, um, this is a powerful, powerful word. Uh, I've wrestled over it because it's not something I haven't preached before, because I believe it's an important reminder for us um, to be reminded of what God is doing in this season. If we look around us, church, we see fields that are so ripe unto harvest. And I can often hear the cry of the Father, uh, as he did in Isaiah chapter 6, as, he, as Isaiah was caught up into the throne room. And his heart was, as he spoke to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in the Holy of Holies. And the Father says, whom will go and whom will I send? And Isaiah answers with this amazing answer, and that is, here I am, Lord, send me. The amazing, amazing thing about this uh, Isaiah is he served under three kings and for over 60 years in ministry. And I pray that that will be our heart. There are many people hurting in our, in our areas. And um, I was caught up reading in Romans chapter 2, where I came across that amazing little voice where it says, God's kindness leads to repentance. And it reminds us that if we do love and good deeds, and if we love people and we're kind to them, it softens their hearts. And uh, that's been a few weeks that... Uh, I've been meditating on that, and I've been starting to, be, to practice it more, even with our neighbors and all of that. So a long way to go. But it's just amazing uh, how it does open doors for the gospel. And uh, if we could just pray for a while, if you bow your heads. And Father God, I thank you that you're with us today. Lord, I thank you that you are always with us, that your presence is here. Lord, and I thank you for every life giving in this uh, church in this city. I thank you for every life giving church, Lord, in this nation, Lord, that have been worshiping you, Lord, praying for our nation. And we lift up our nation, Lord. God, keep our land glorious and free, Lord. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In Matthew 16, verse 13 to 19, Jesus asks a question. One of the things that I thought I want to do uh, is do a study on the questions Jesus asked, but this is one of them. 
And to me, it's as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. In verse 13, we see Jesus has come to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples this question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he goes from the general to the personal, personal, and he turns to them and asks them this question, who do you say that I am? A question that we all need to answer. And Simon Peter answered that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but God revealed it to you by by his Father in heaven. The others were talking about information. Some say this, some say that. But Peter had this amazing revelation of who Jesus Christ fully was. And he says this as we go, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So my question I want to ask us today is what are some of those keys? I take note there that it's not one key, it's the keys, plural. And um, one of them, and for me, the most important one, is that we as a church and people of God fully apply and embrace the Grace Commission. Sometimes I feel that uh, we can... um, Think of it as a great su- suggestion. But Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 to, to 20. Paul, can you please bring me some water? He says this. It says this. That when Jesus came to them, he said this. Thank you. Mm. That's much better. That all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm sure all of us know the scripture well. And that's what he calls us to do, to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And this is the amazing thing about it. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end end of the age. What a comforting word. Even when we reach out to others into our city and the nations, he's with us. He goes before us. And our mandate as a church, if you go to our website, you'll see this, is to be a gathering, healing, training, and sending church. And I just want to remind us what that means. We want to gather in people, people that are lost, people that are hurting, people that are whole, people that are saved, all people. And we want to see them healed physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And we want to train and equip them. We are starting a a New Beginnings course pretty soon. We have the School of the Bible, and there's so much on there. I encourage you to go through those teachings. 
uh, many of them on, on the, the subjects that we speak on a Sunday. And finally, to be ascending church. church. The church is not an event. The church is not a building as we found over COVID. The church is us. And wherever we go, we take the church with us. And wherever we go, Jesus is not only in us, he's with us. See, God has called us to be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to be a witness. We see that in Acts 1, chapter 8. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. At salvation they receive the indwelling Spirit of God. And in Acts 1, they waited for Jesus tells them to wait for the power to come upon them so that the power, the Holy Spirit in them and the power would come upon them. And it's very important that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit because that what's, that's what enables us more than anything else to be a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. And we see what happens in Acts chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit came. And you will be my witness And I love the way Jesus lays it out in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem would be Nanaimo. This is our primary mission field. And in Judea, that could be British Columbia. Samaria could be the rest of Canada. And then to the uttermost parts of the world. And to me, these scriptures, and many like them, encapsulate the will of God and the plan of God for the church. So I want to speak about the will of God for a while, and then I'm going to speak about the ways of God and show you the difference between the two. And I encourage you to dig deeper for yourselves. But here's another key we need to know. That the, uh, and, uh, that, no, not on, that we need to know not only the will, but also the ways of God. You see, God is not only interested in what we do, He's interested in how we do it. We see this in Isaiah 58, verse 8 and 9. Many of us know this too, where the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are higher my ways than your ways. Church, I want to walk on the highways of God and in the highways of God. We know that Moses understood this, and we've read this many times, as I've said. In Exodus 33, 12 to 14, a very well-preached scripture, Moses says to the Lord, you have been telling me to lead these people, but you not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and I have found favor with you. But if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. So what Moses was saying is, Lord, I know you called me to lead these people. We're in the desert now, wandering around, but I don't know how to do it. And those are the ways of God. He understood God's will, but he also had had to know what God's way was. And, so, and then he goes on to say, Say, I may know you and continue to find favor with you. 
Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. You see, church, it's in the presence of God, first and forward, where we seek his face and not only his hand. When we spend time with him, like Moses did in a special tent of meeting that he had, that he began to learn these ways. And God reveals so many things to him. And the Apostle Paul picks up his, this, in this theme in 1 chapter 13. But before that, in chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians, sorry, what did I say? 1 Corinthians 13, <laughs> chapter 12. He's just written about the gifts of the Spirit. And the Spirit given enabled to fill to, be, to enable for us to fulfill the will of God. And these are the gifts that we are given. And they're very important. The gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of wisdom. Gifts of speaking in tongues. Faith, knowledge, discernment, healing and miracle. The power gifts. Gifts that enable us to be an effective witness. But in the next chapter, chapter 13, God actually warns us to be careful how we use these gifts. And he ends, Paul ends chapter 12 with this word in verse 31. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And then he says this, and now I will show you the most excellent way. In other words, you've got the tools. Now I want to show you through revelation from God how to use these gifts. And in Corinthians 13, he begins to unpack this most excellent way. In verse 1 to 3, he begins with a dire warning to the church. And he says this, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging, clanging cymbal. If, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I, in the context of the kingdom, am nothing. And it's so often that we rely on the gifts. But it's important that we understand the excellent way of God is the way of love, forgiveness, and acceptance. He goes on to say this, even if I give all that I have to possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Church, I've been so convicted of this over the last few weeks as I've picked up on the kindness of God. Can you imagine getting to heaven because we're saved, but done all of these things? And he says, you know what? It actually didn't work out for you because it wasn't done in love. And I'm speaking to myself. So as I speak to you, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> but these are things that God has been challenging me on and for us as a church. And then he goes on to explain what the agape love of God looks like, the unconditional, undeserved, unmerited love of God. It cannot be achieved. It cannot be earned. It is only received by faith. And this is what God expects of us. And even in this time where there can be so many um, reasons for us to disagree on so many things, I pray that we begin to speak and remember that we to speak the truth in love. My answer to people is what do I think? I said, to me, I have my opinions, but unfortunately, I'm not a doctor. And you wouldn't come to me for any other ailment, so don't come to me for this one. If you like, just speak to your doctor. But what I'm saying is, it's love that binds us together. It's love that causes unity. It's love that causes us to prepare our hearts to fight the right battles. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, church. We wrestle against principalities and powers. And we have to have the armor of God on. But we have to walk in the agape love of God. And I'll show you early on how we receive it. And this is it. Love is patient. And this is the word. Love is kind. Be kind to one another. Be kind to your neighbors. Be kind to the people that we reach out to. Because what we are doing, we are creating an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can soften the most hardest of hearts when we serve people. And eventually, it might take a while. They may come and ask us why we're doing this or we'll be able to share that to a soft heart. St. Francis of Assisi said this, go into all the world and preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Love does not envy. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Church, we've got to burn that little black book in our back pocket. There's no future in our past. We need to learn to forgive ourselves first and foremost. Because Jesus has forgiven us. He said on the cross that it is finished. And there is an accuser of the brethren. The Bible says, the devil that goes to and fro and he accuses us and he chooses to use accusation and condemnation to, to contain our effectiveness as witnesses of Lord Jesus Christ. But we do have one in the very throne of God, God the Son, who intercedes for us day and night. And as the accuser, cruiser is accusing us, he's saying, not guilty, paid by my blood, not guilty, not guilty. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost too, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. Love does not delight in evil. Do you know one of the things that we've got to be careful of delighting in? Gossip. It's something that we can, we can fall into in many ways. And I say that too, as, as one with locks, uh, uh, log in my eye, many times. It says this, it, love does not delight in evil, but always reduces with truth. It always reflects, protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. You see, the church Jesus is, is building, that's another thing I'm starting to, what are you building, God? Do I really know what you're building? I have a good idea, but I'm confident that there's so much more to learn. You see, a church should not simply be defined by great preaching or teaching or incredible worship or evangelistic events. All absolutely necessary. And we are blessed with so many people and gifted people. And God gives us talents to use. Mm. You see, the church that Jesus is building is defined by love. Love, the agape of God. In John 13, 34 to 35, we see this. Jesus is in the upper room shortly after this, awaiting a crucifixion. And he gives them one final command. It's amazing that it says command. doesn't say suggestion or anything like that. And this is what he says. A new command I give unto you, love one another. Disciples, church, individuals. And how should we love one another? He says, just as I have loved you. So must you love one another. And this is the amazing thing. He says, by this, and I've underlined that this in my Bible a number of times. By this and this shall all men know that we, you are my disciples, if you love one another. The church, as I've said, will not be divided by things and stuff but the unconditional love of God. The love of God as seen in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know it so well, and I'm always overwhelmed every time I read it. 
I could not, as I've said before, imagine offering one of my sons to pay the price for anybody else's life. I could not imagine being a father in heaven, looking down on that cross with Jesus on it, with all authority actually to wipe out all mankind at that very moment, the love that he had. For he knew, for us to be reconciled with Jesus Christ, his son needed to go through this. What an amazing love of God the Father. And because Jesus came, whomsoever believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting love. You see, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. There's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus, but to save the world through him. The love of God, followed by the obedience of the Son. And we see this in Romans 5 and 6. Once again, a passage I read often. And this is what it says. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly die. I've never met one. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Matthew 5, 13 to 16, we see this that we are called to be both salt and light, expressed through love and good deeds, and thereby bring glory to God. And Paul in Colossians 4, 5, and 6 encourages us with this, to be wise in the way we act to outsiders. Make, every, make most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. I love this. So that you may know how to answer anyone. I remember asking myself, why salt? What does that mean? And as I thought about it, I thought this, that the right amount of salt brings out the flavor in food, but too much salt makes it taste worse. Do we truly believe, church, that simple acts of love and of kindness can have a huge impact on our neighbors, our city, and as a result, change people's lives? According to Matthew 25, Jesus says, believes that we can. Go and read that. The sheep and the goats. A cup of water. A visit in prison. A prayer in hospital. Those are the things 
that God wants us to do. I remember speaking a while, a few times over this thing about a stick, a stone, and a worship team. And what brought that me to, that me, to me to mind was when Moses, in conversation with God in the desert, said this, what do I have to deliver this nation? This nation. And God said, what do you have in your hand? And he said, I've got a stick. And he threw it on the ground. And a miracle happened. And he said, Moses, with this nation, you will de- with this stick, you will deliver a nation in my, with my hand in your hand. Authentic worship is not only meant to be a weekly event. As important as our meeting and worship together is, these meetings are meant to spur us on and be a catalyst for mission. We clearly see that in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 24, where Paul, I believe, who wrote Hebrews, maybe I shouldn't have said that because it's (laughs) not proven, but this is what was written. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, For he who promises is faithful. And this is an amazing one. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to what? To loving God, to loving each other, to loving uh, our fellow man in, in love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day appearing. You see, authentic worship includes meeting, as we've just read and just seen today. But as important they are, it must include a daily lifestyle of prayer, of spending time in His presence, and of witness in word and deed. You see, church, we are gathered here to go. People need to see clarity in our lives and should not be guessing who we are or what we stand for. God has given us a mandate to know Jesus intimately. And the more we know Jesus The more we spend time with Jesus, the more we become like him. You see, we can leave from here, so from now on, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do this. And you know what? We can't do it outside of Jesus Christ, outside of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's why these men and women of God spend so much time in his presence. And that's how we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he wants to do. You see, God wants us to minister out of the overflow of our hearts. It's out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth mouth speaks. It's the living water that God wants to see flowing in and through us that others become and drink with. And they start with simple, random acts of kindness. 
Random acts of kindness where we uh, spend time listening to people. Sometimes that's all they need. Or helping them out in any way we can. You see, church, this is the time, if it's never been before, this is it for the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. Believers who are empowered by the love of the Father, the authority of God the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Believers who gather to be equipped and encouraged and commissioned by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to simply be salt and light, mainly through good deeds. It's interesting, David Livingston, you should um, look him up and uh, read about his life. He had a powerful, if not the most powerful impact on the gospel in Africa. He was the the foundation layer of Christianity in Africa, where we come from. And he was an amazing man. He was an explorer, a philanthropist, and many others. And one of the, uh, the queen, I think it was Victoria at one stage, wanted to commission him, whatever that meant. And this is what he said in return. This great explorer, missionary, said this. As I answered this to the king. If a commission by an earthly king is an honor, how come a commission by a heavenly king is a sacrifice? Church, if we could bow our heads and have the worship team up, and I hope this does not bring condemnation. God is not angry with us. The word of God says his the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus Christ and he chooses uh, to never be angry with us again. What an amazing thing. But he is just simply wanting, as I said, for Mike, I want to spur you on. I want to show you the great things that I have in store for you. And they start not with the big things. They start with the little things. And I've been trying to put this into practice more and more. And I tell you, it is so fulfilling. It's so wonderful um, as you start to see relationships. Uh, I'm starting to see that in my neighborhood with, with people around us. And we're becoming to, becoming to become friends. Not talking about the gospel in any way at this stage. They know what I do. But creating a bridge. And that's all God wants us to do. So, Father God, I want to thank you for your love, your mercy, and grace. Lord, we're all here because we heard the gospel from someone or somewhere. It could have been our parents. Like me, it could have been people I didn't really know initially. It could be through our spouses, Lord God, but somebody shared the gospel with us, Lord or taught us the gospel, could have been a a Sunday school teacher. And Father, all you want us to do is to take what you've given us and spread it to our neighbors and the nations.
And Lord, I pray, Lord God, that instead of looking at the things around us, we will constantly run this race with perseverance by fixing our eyes on you, Jesus. Not only the author of our faith, the initiator of our faith, but the one that comes alongside us and perfects our faith within, our faith within us. So we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Can we stand and for a moment just worship the King of glory? Amen.